How do you feel about DJ Dallas this week as a waiver priority with injuries to Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde, Travis Homer? DJ Dallas projects to be the number one running back as of right now. What the f***? You fucking serious? Do you have any idea who I am? I'm the fucking podfather. I think I'm going to just drop everything to answer your puny little fantasy question on Twitter? <laughs> on Twitter? Answer a fantasy question? You fucking clown, f*** you. Uh, okay, uh, who are some buy low redraft targets you're interested in trading for to make a playoff push in your home league? This better be a fucking joke. I should be hanging out with Deadpool because I'm a content colossus. I have single-handedly produced more fantasy content than every other analyst in the history of the fucking internet. And here you come thinking you're special, worthy of my fantasy advice, on-demand fantasy advice? L-O-F-ing-L, you ain't sh- eat shit. You f***ing pussy. Oh. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 101 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to go over the full week eight main slate on DraftKings. We'll get into some slate specifics, talk some chalk, give our thoughts on cash game lineup construction, tournament strategy, leverage, and stacks. And of course, we will close out the show with our best bets. But before we do any of that, Joey, can you tell the people how to support the podcast? You can help support the DFS Dose by obviously following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. That's where we tweet out links to everything and just some miscellaneous tweets throughout the week about DFS. So make sure you're following us over there at the DFS Dose. And then if you're not already, make sure you are subscribed or followed to the DFS Dose podcast on whatever podcast platform, including Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, whatever site you are using to listen to your podcast, make sure you are subscribed or followed and make sure you leave a rating if you're feeling generous as well and then you could subscribe to us on youtube at the dfs dose new clips every week new videos every week my video just dropped yesterday on the millie maker ben's cash pool video will drop on friday on that same feed as well as his cash pool article which will be released on the dfsdose.com as always so make sure you look out for that and that is the best way to support the podcast yeah and i mean feel free to tweet us any questions or thoughts that you have throughout the weeks start it anything uh, we will answer you in a you know kind way i respond to every comment on the youtube videos as well he does um, so Everyone. literally every single comment i will respond to i don't care if it's a hate comment or if it's a good comment or a trade a comment i respond to every single comment so tweet us at the dfs dose if you want some advice you can comment on the youtube clips or videos if you want some advice over there uh we'll respond to anything in a kind way not like how ben just absolutely shit on me in the intro hey, what a guy i'm trying i'm trying to get cloud apparently that's how you get cloud on fantasy twitter <laughs> i learned that this week but without any further ado let's get in to the week eight main slate on DraftKings. we're going to start off with some slate specific vegas notes as we always do this slate is an 11 game main slate with eight games early and three games in the afternoon there are five games with totals above 50 only one team with a total above 30 as it currently stands the top five implied team totals on the slate we've got kc leading it off with a 34.25 
implied team total. Green Bay and Tennessee tied for second at 29 and a half. Seattle, 28, and Cleveland, 27.5. What stands out to you in this slate of games? Yeah, so for me personally, I don't think this slate is that good in my opinion. Um, There is a lot of ugly games that could definitely disappoint. And there are good real life games such as Pittsburgh and Baltimore, but I don't think I'm going to go there in terms of DFS. And I think that's the case for a lot of these games. But I mean, there's some good games on the slate. Like I like Cincinnati and Tennessee and then Packers and Vikings. But all in all, I think we differ on this. I think it's an ugly slate and I know you're on the opposite of that. So yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely some interesting storylines that I'd like to see play out. I'm super interested to see Tua in his first game. I think the Dolphins could be a surprising team this week going against the Rams team coming off a short week. I'm super interested in the Oakland or I'm sorry, Vegas Cleveland game. Tennessee Bengals is super interesting to me and two of the top five implied totals on the slate in Casey and Green Bay, I think are in letdown spots from a fantasy perspective the Chiefs with an insane 19 and a half line favored over the Jets I don't know if I've ever seen a line that crazy in the NFL so I think that that could cause some problems for trying to stack the Chiefs side of the ball and then the Packers we have a second division game here of the year and those are always more liable to disappoint plus the Vikings coming off of a full bye week getting prepared to try and stop Devontae Adams who will probably be very heavily owned this week coming off his monster performance that could be a disappointment so I think that you know, how I'm going to be handling this week, and we'll get into this as we, you know, progress through the show, is I'm going to be targeting the games that I think have fewer outs to failure. Tennessee, Cincinnati, Seattle, San Francisco, and Cleveland, Vegas are the three games that I'm most interested in this week. Yeah, I definitely think those games can uh, provide some fantasy goodness this week, so. Let's get right into the chalk this week, and, you know, we try to figure it out before the show, and at quarterback, I think that, you know, we have some differing opinions. Russ Wilson to me seems like he will be clear-cut chalk despite a seemingly difficult matchup against the 49ers. He is just playing in absolute god mode right now and I don't think that any defense is fully equipped to stop Wilson when he's in this mode. He'll likely be chalk and other than that I'm not too sure. I mean you mentioned Cam Newton. I think Joe Burrow has a shot at chalk so what do you think people are going to do at the quarterback position this week. Yeah, so I definitely think Russ will be one of, if not the highest owned quarterback on the slate. He's in a great spot against the Niners at home. And with the injuries to their running backs, I think this could be a spot where it's just on Russ's shoulders to go out and win them the game. So I like Russ at 7,800. I think Newton is in consideration, even though the Patriots offense is god awful. We talked about it on the recap episode if you want to go and check that out. But but I mean, the Patriots have no weapons. They've just looked like they are the worst offense in the NFL, even being in the same division as the Jets. So it's going to be hard to play Newton, but his rushing upside will allow him to get there, uh, in my opinion, at 5700 which is a relatively cheap price tag for a player of Cam Newton's caliber. So I think people will go there. And then I think one of Burrow or Ryan Tannehill will be owned in the mid-range. Uh, both are in great spots. Uh, uh, obviously, Burrow is at home against the Titans, and Tannehill is on the road against the Bengals. And like I said, they're just both in great spots, and they've both been good to start the year so far. So I think that's 
what it comes down to this week is those four guys at quarterback in terms of ownership. I agree. Burrow to me stands out, especially at 6,200 mm-hmm. because the other guys are just, you know, they're, they're priced higher. Even, you know, somebody like Tannehill seeing him all the way at 6,800 is a little bit, I wouldn't say alarming. It's just surprising to see him get that high up, but he's worthy of it. It's just hard to think about going there in say cash games as likely as he is to have a game over 30 points he's as likely to have a game under 20, as we've seen this year. Wilson is a phenomenal play, but it looks like we're not going to have the value to get up there in cash. So I see him being the highest owned in tournaments for sure, but I don't expect him to be an overwhelmingly popular cash play. And Cam Newton, it's just hard for me to imagine him projecting well with an implied team total of under 20 for the Patriots. So I think Burrow, when it's all said and done, will be the most popular cash game quarterback of the week. But we will see, of course, how the week develops at the run back position, the one guy that clear-cut stands above everybody else, in my opinion, is Kareem Hunt. Browns have a top five implied team total on the slate. The Raiders are an atrocious defense all around, and his usage has been extremely encouraging, even though he hasn't had one of those monster games. This seems like a spot where it could happen, and with questions on just about everybody else in that range, Aaron Jones could miss the week, Dalvin Cook coming off of injury, and Derrick Henry priced over $1,000 more. I think that Kareem Hunt stands out this week as somebody who's going to gain a ton of popularity. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Kareem Hunt as the highest owned running back on this slate. And I think he is the best running back play on the board at 6,900. You're getting a discount off of a guy like Kamara or Henry, like you mentioned, over a thousand dollars. And he's, you know, top five, top 10 running back in terms of talent, pure talent. He factors into the receiving game. He's had only one game with under two catches on the season. So basically a floor of two catches for Kareem Hunt. He's going to be the workhorse on a team that will feature him. So Kareem Hunt at home against the Raiders is just a phenomenal play this week. And we're going to see a Kareem Hunt chalk week. We would have saw it last week if Gio and Jamal didn't open things up, but this is this is the Kareem Hunt week for sure. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of Gio and Jamal, I think that there's a chance that both of them are pretty popular once again with Aaron Jones. I don't know. He missed Wednesday's practice and they're going to be cautious with him as the Packers are likely to do. So there's a chance that we see Jamal Williams garner a ton of ownership, priced all the way up at 6,100 this week. Joe Mixon also missed practice. So Gio Bernard at 5,800. I think that depending on how the injuries go with Jones and Mixon, we could see both of them be pretty popular options this week, despite massive price bumps. Yeah, it definitely depends on the injuries to their starters for sure. And I did see a video. I forgot who who put out the video, so that that's on me. But they said that Joe Mixon could be out for multiple weeks. So I think he is truly questionable. And I don't know if I would play Gio at 5,800. I mean, I think he would be chalk and you would have to consider it. But I mean, I didn't play him last week. That was because Jamal opened things up but that was probably the wrong thing to do and you know I probably wouldn't make that mistake again but Aaron Jones I think is more likely to play than Joe Mixon this week so we want to get Jamal say both of them are out I would rather have Jamal over Gio again this week, even though he is priced higher than Gio. I agree. I mean, Jamal Williams played 89% of the snaps for Green Bay, and he had like, I'm pretty sure over 90% yeah. of the running back touches. So to me, he is, you know, he would be a clear. He, he's just better. Oh yeah. He's just, he's just a better player. And that's what it factors in for me as well. Like for $300 more, I'm going to take the better player uh, who has more upside mm-hmm. uh, on a better offense. Yeah, I agree with that. And 
you know, just in terms of whether or not I would play him, I absolutely would play him if Aaron Jones were to miss. And then speaking of the, you know, like the top tier of guys with Cook, Kamara, Henry, and potentially Aaron Jones, do you think any one of them is a clear standout in terms of likelihood of gaining a ton of ownership and becoming massive chalk this week? Yeah, so I think if Michael Thomas is out, Camara will be chalky again at 8,200 uh, just due to his role in the Saints offense with Michael Thomas out. But if he's back, I don't think he will be on. So that's obviously a situation to monitor. But uh, Michael Thomas didn't practice uh, on Wednesday either. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, Derek Henry at 8K, I think will have some ownership, but I don't expect him to be too chalky just due to the fact that he has no receiving upside whatsoever. I mean, his max receptions on the season is three and you know he's a candidate to likely get one or two catches every single game so I don't think people will go to Henry but Delvin Cook at 7,500 and a lot of beat reporters for the Vikings projected him to be back for this week and be fully healthy and ready to go at 7,500 I think he would be a standout play uh, above Henry and Kamara for me going up against the Packers defense that has continuously been bad against opposing running backs for the last two or three years now and then if cook is out madison would also be a phenomenal play at six thousand. so definitely some injuries to watch with these with these top two or three guys on this slate definitely and another reason to subscribe to the dfs dose youtube channel we do post exclusive clips there later in the week to account for some of the things that develop and you know that we can't do on a thursday podcast so check that mm-hmm. out. And in response to what you just said, Kamara, I mean, it's so hard to get away from him, especially with the workload he's seeing with Michael Thomas out these past few weeks. But if we get that situation again, paying all the way up to 8,200 seems like it'd be difficult to do on this slate with the lack of value as it currently sits. Also, you look at the fact that the Bears have allowed the 11th fewest fantasy points per game to running back, the fifth fewest receptions to running back per game. And that's just an area where their defense excels. I, I think I I would prefer Cook of the group, just like you would. I mean, the Packers have allowed the most fantasy points per game to running back this season. And if the Vikings have any hope, I think, of winning this game, it'll be, you know, by keeping the Packers offense off of the field and they can do that with Dalvin Cook. So Dalvin Cook, it's always a little shaky going back to a player in their first game coming off of injury, but the numbers say that these guys, especially the stud players, if they're good to go, they're usually good to go coming off of off a bye week too yeah off a bye week with the extra time to rest i think delvin cook would be somebody i'd be you know really interested in going to especially if people are skeptical of him and his ownership isn't out of control with the injury so cook somebody to definitely keep an eye on i was going to touch on dj dallas as potential chalk but from what we are hearing it seems like chris carson is actually potentially in play To make it back, Pete Carroll called Carlos Hyde's injury not major. So I think that at least one of those two players will come back this week and sort of, you know, relegate DJ Dallas to a backup role. However, if for some reason everybody sits, DJ Dallas at 4K is going to be interesting. If every Seahawks running back sits besides DJ Dallas, he's going to be stone chalk at 4K in one of the best offenses in the NFL. And I think if that were to happen, he'd be about 70%. So 
you know, there's really no benefit to fading him, but I hope that doesn't happen because he is a terrible football player. He's slow as dirt and really offers no upside at the running back position. But I think we have to mention Carlos Hyde. I think Carlos Hyde is more of a lock to play than Chris Carson this week. Mm-hmm. And with Chris Carson being sidelined uh, in week seven against Arizona, Carlos Hyde came in and had uh, 18 touches, three catches, 15 attempts, 16 points on the ground. So I think uh, we would have to consider Carlos Hyde at 5,300 if him and Dallas were the only active Seahawks running backs this week. Well, you don't want a guy who has a 37th percentile burst score and a 37th percentile agility score with DJ Dallas. You're not about that life. Nice uh, four, five, eight runner. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely not about playing a stone bum at running back in my DraftKings lineups. Okay. Okay. I mean, I will say that he only played 14% of snaps last week and still had three targets, two receptions. I think that if he is able to absorb the majority of Chris Carson's receiving work as the sole running back, then he would be a great play, but it is trending in the wrong direction. So won't waste too much time playing the if game with DJ Dallas. In terms of the wide receiver position, I'm expecting Devontae Adams to be massive chalk this week following his near 50-point game last week, even at 8.8K. I think people are going to chase those points. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, we've talked about it before, and I believe that the public is getting smarter. So at 8.8, almost 9K, I don't think he's going to be massive chalk like he was last week. What was he, about 50% in cash games uh, in the higher double-up stuff, so I don't think he's going to reach 50% at 8k especially if you have to play two or three high price running backs it'll be hard to fit Devontae in but I mean at home against the Vikings defense that he's already torched this year he's definitely a great play and you know what you're getting with Devontae Adams you're getting 10 plus targets you're getting elite upside and you're getting touchdown upside as the clear-cut number one wide receiver and really nobody behind him that will command targets so I don't mind Devontae at 8.8 but it is a very hefty price tag four games and two games over 44 points this man has a 50 percent chance of dropping a 40 burger (laughs) that just unbelievable unbelievable but in terms of the other high price wide receivers i could see tyler lockett developing into chalk but like you said people don't just straight chase box scores anymore so that i'm not too sure about at this point in the week i do think adam thielen is gonna be pretty popular at 7200 yeah i think thielen will be very popular as one of the pay up wide receivers and he's just you know the number one wide receiver on an offense where he's going to get targets he's going to lead his team in target market share um he leads wide receivers in end zone targets so this is a guy that is going to be owned this week at 7200 in a good matchup now I don't know if Jair Alexander will shadow Adam Thielen and Jair has been one of the best uh, cover corners in the NFL in 2020 but Adam Thielen is still a standout play at 7200 and should garner ownership as one of the pay up wide receivers on this week out of all the guys that we've mentioned up to this point i think thielen is my least favorite pay, uh I think Thielen is my least favorite piece of potential chalk. I think there's just too many other good options around him. Mm -hmm. The two Seahawks receivers and A.J. Brown, who we'll talk about shortly at 6,900, is just an insane standout play to me. So hard for me to justify Thielen at high ownership this week, especially with the potential of Alexander shadowing him like you mentioned. Another wide receiver who will be extremely popular, somebody that we both played in cash games last week, had a, a, a great game, 13 targets, 10 receptions for 125. 
five and didn't see a price bump at all is Keenan Allen at 6,200. I don't know what DraftKings was thinking with this price tag on Keenan Allen. How do you go for 25 points and stay at 6,200? And I mean, you know, Justin Herbert has been a revelation for the Chargers offense, and he's supporting multiple fantasy pieces right now. And Keenan Allen is a clear-cut wide receiver one in LA. I mean, He's seen a crazy market share of of targets. He's leading the NFL in terms of team target percentage at 29%. And in his fully healthy games, he's seen one game with under a 30% target share which is absolutely incredible. And at 6,200, I think he is one of the clear-cut, mispriced players on the slate, Uh, one of the best wide receiver plays on the board this week going into Denver. And I mean, what's not to like about Keenan Allen? You're getting targets, and you're getting a good wide receiver. The only thing is, is he only has two touchdowns on the air because Justin Herbert likes to throw touchdowns to Virgil Green and Donald Parham and uh, Jalen Guyton. Those are his guys for touchdowns. But other than that, Keenan Allen is a great play. Yeah, I mean, when you have the opportunity to get uh, Jalen Guyton involved in the end zone, you have to take it. You absolutely have to. Um, Denver's a pretty <laughs> middle-of-the-road team in terms of what they have been limiting wide receivers to. I, I wouldn't be worried about it. Big fan of Keenan. Just the targets make him pretty matchup proof, in my opinion, as well as being an elite route runner that can get open against anybody. So, yeah. Did you know that uh, Jalen Guyton is averaging 43 yards per catch? Eight catches on the year, 258 receiving yards, and three touchdowns. 43 yards per catch. Just like we all expected coming into the year. <laughs> <laughs> what a guy. Oh, man. Um, There are a couple wide receivers in the lower range of pricing that I think are going to be relatively popular. One is Rashard Higgins at 4,200, who saw six targets after Odell Beckham Jr. went out last week. He's just flat out underpriced, I think, at 4,200 in a great matchup against the Raiders. And another guy in that same range, A.J. Green, the king of dust himself coming in at 4,500 <laughs> and averaging 12 targets per game over the last two matchups and a good matchup against Tennessee this week. How do you feel about these two players? Yeah, so I think Higgins is a very good play at 4,200. Like you said, he's just clearly underpriced for his new role in the Browns offense, I think, as the wide receiver one. And him and Baker have chemistry. Like it shows when you see them on the field together and Baker is just a better quarterback when Higgins is on the field. So I think he's in play this week. And yeah, I think cash games are going to center around if you want to play AJ Green or not at 4,500. I know you just call them the king of dust, but like you said, he's averaged 12 targets the past week, uh, 15 points minimum, 15 uh, last week, and 17 the week before. So are we seeing a resurgence from A.J. Green? Is he not dust anymore? That's what we have to figure out. And it's going to be hard to not play him. I'll say it. 4,500, if he gets 10 targets, that's just a lot of opportunity at home against a Titans defense that is not good against opposing wide receivers and opposing passing attacks. So it's going to it's going to be hard to fade AJ Green this week, in my opinion, as as much as it pains me to say that, because I am on the AJ Green is dust bandwagon too, but it's going to be hard. 
Yeah, I mean, fade him. I, I'd spent hours and hours researching and looking at this slate, and I simply didn't even see AJ Green's name. My, my brain just completely <laughs> blocks his dusty ass out. So I scrolled past him a good like 30 or 40 times looking through the player pool, never even saw he existed. So now I have to consider him, considering he's probably going to be massive chalk. But I mean, the ideal scenario, probably like a 30% chance this happens, is that he gets traded before this weekend's set of games. And he opens Maybe. up Boyd and Higgins. I mean, I think AJ Green is squarely on the trade block for uh, the Bengals, mm-hmm. and you know, could see him going to a team like Green Bay, who's actively, you know, sending out offers for Will Fuller and whoever else that they're interested in. Apparently, the Falcons aren't going to trade Julio. I could definitely see the Bengals trading AJ Green. I think that would be ideal for all of the rest of the Bengals' pass catchers. Whether or not he's dust, I don't know. That's above my pay grade. But what I saw from him in terms of, you know, that one play a few weeks ago where he just completely gave up on the pick and was just like watching. I I can't play him after that. (laughs) I don't care. So I'm out on AJ Green this week. Check out the cash pool article for my full thoughts. Maybe I'll come around on him. Demarcus Robinson, any interest there? Here we go. Look, here we go. Hey, Here I mean, 3,100 going against the Jets secondary operating as the clear-cut wide receiver two in the absence of Sammy Watkins still played 67% of offensive snaps in a complete blowout last week. It, it's like, I don't want to go there, but there's not too much value on this slate and only $100 above man price. Am I crazy for considering Demarcus Robinson this week? Yeah, I mean, if you want to go there... <laughs> No, no, I can't even, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even make an excuse for it. Do not play Demarcus Robinson in cash at 3,100. I mean, this is just a guy that has no upside, even though he's playing on, you know, 60 plus percent of snaps. They mainly use him as a blocker and the Chiefs have been trending towards a run first team recently. And we talked about it last week. The wide receiver two role in Kansas City is not a lock for fantasy production. I mean, we see it with Sammy Watkins and he hasn't been a major fantasy producer in his tenure in Kansas City. So Demarcus Robinson is a no-go for me, 3100 Had to let you know about his price uh, before the show. I knew you would be all over that once I mentioned that, but no shot on Demarcus Robinson. Do not play him, please. I beg you. I mean, I'm glad I got off of him for his one target, one reception, four-yard <laughs> performance last week. So shout out to you for eventually talking me off of that. Uh, Sticking with the chalk talk at tight end, I mean, the guy that stands out to me as clear cut above the rest of the field is Jonu Smith at only 4,100 this week in the absolute nut matchup. Jonu Smith is clearly underpriced uh, in this spot going up against a Bengals defense that can't stop opposing tight ends to save their life. And at 4,100, I mean, it's just hard to not auto lock Jonu Smith into all of your lineups, especially your cash lineup. He hasn't been healthy the last couple of weeks. That's why you see the down targets in in his recent games against Pittsburgh and Houston, but we know when he's healthy, this is a guy that will most likely have a five target floor with upside of 10 targets on any given week. And, you know, the Titans concentrated target share uh, there with really only him and AJ Brown commanding targets. I know Corey Davis had a lot of targets last week as well, but John O. Smith at 4,100 is a phenomenal play. So I think that's where everybody's going to go for cash this week. Yeah, I agree. Um, Six targets over the last two weeks, but was average 
averaging 6.75 targets per game to start the first four games of the season. He had four straight games with no less than 11 fantasy points on DraftKings. He's had five touchdowns in his first four games played. I think that the ankle injury that caused him to leave the week six game against Houston early hobbled him still coming into the Pittsburgh game last week. So if he is fully healthy and we'll keep an eye on the practice reports, I think Jonu Smith is just a clear standout play at 4,100. I see absolutely no need to even consider going above him in cash games this week. However, there are a few options that are in consideration as even deeper punts this week, sub 4K. Guys like I think Irv Smith Jr. could garner some ownership and a negative game script for the Vikings and potentially Harrison Bryant after what he did. His price only rose up to 3200 after putting up 20 points at the Stone Mint last week. Yeah, I think those are two guys where if you really need the extra 1000 then you go there. But I would just prefer Janu. I mean, Harrison Bryant played on 76% of snaps last week with Austin Hooper out. So I think he's fine if you want to pay down all the way to, you know, 3200 for him. He, he only ran 14 routes so and had five targets on his 14 routes but baker looked to target him in the red zone and in the end zone so that is something to monitor and he could be a, a good gpp play this week but it, it's really janu for me unless i really really need the extra 900 or 1000 okay yeah i think i agree with that take as well Let's transition here into cash game lineup construction. A lot of what we've talked about already is applicable, I think. But overall, this week seems pretty standard to me. It looks like it's a week that we're going to want to find the value at the other positions to pay up at running back. I don't think DJ Dallas is likely to come open. And that really leaves only Miles Gaskin and Gio Bernard as the two guys who are sub 6K that I think are viable cash game options at running back. How do you feel about those two guys, about Gaskin especially, who I find pretty interesting this week at 5,200. Yeah, I think Gaskin is a good cash play. I know we didn't talk about him in the chalk because we don't project he will be, but at 5,200, this is a guy that we can safely project for 15 to 20 touches every single game. And the Dolphins have transitioned into making Miles Gaskin, the workhorse running back in Miami, and we know he has an elite pass game role as well with multiple games with five plus catches, and he doesn't have a game with under three catches on the season. So he's involved in the pass game. He's getting attempts on the ground, and the Rams have been bad against opposing running backs. So it's not a very difficult matchup for him coming off of, you know, a bye week at home with Tua's first start, so there's a lot of hype around it. 5,200, I think I might consider playing him as my RB3, no cap. Doesn't it all line up perfectly? We have the Rams on the road on a short week coming mm -hmm. at home to Miami to his first game. What are they going to do? They're going to lean on the running back with the rookie quarterback in his first start in a shortened off season. I don't know, man. I think that Gaskin might be a borderline cash game lock, especially if no other value opens up. He allows you to get some mid-range players in there with a secure workload. He has a good receiving role. Could definitely see Tua leaning on him in terms of dump-offs. Absolutely love Gaskin this week. I guess we already kind of talked about the higher end running backs, Kareem Hunt as somebody that stands out and potentially one of Cook, Kamara, Henry as the other expensive running back that you look to, potentially Jamal Williams if Aaron Jones sits. I think that just about sums up running back unless you have any other thoughts for cash games. Just with cash game construction, you always want to make sure that you're potentially getting at least 
20 touches out of your running back that's kind of like the threshold that you want to aim for when playing cash games you want to have like 60 or 70 touches out of your three running backs and you're usually going to go with three running backs in cash games just because you want the secure workload so I think that is the process this week you just try and jam in as many touches as you possibly can with two uh, expensive running backs uh, whether that be Hunt and Camara or Henry or Cook and then you go cheap with Miles Gaskin who will also most likely get you 18 to 20 touches and receiving upside so though that's my uh, thought on cash games this week for running backs in terms of wide receiver is this another week where it's more of the same or are we going to violate our rule of targeting the mid-range guys to try and get up to Devontae Adams at 8.8k guys like Keenan Allen are in the mid-range guys like Jamison Crowder at 5,800 who has been unable to stay healthy but will be in a very positive game script for him with the Jets as what 19 and a half point dogs Brandon Ayuk in the nut matchup at 5800 and then all the other value guys we mentioned before AJ Green Rashard Higgins potentially Jarvis Landry with the loss of Odell Beckham do we look to stay in the mid-range as we have all year yeah I mean I I don't think that I am going to pay up. So I think staying in the mid-range and below is the way to go this week again. And it's just for the simple fact that while Devontae Adams does have elite upside and he does have, you know, 15, 16 target upside, you can get a wide receiver for two or three or even $4,000 cheaper that has 10 target upside with with a lot of opportunity in their respective offenses like Rashad Higgins as the number one option now with Odell Hurt, I think has 10 target upside. I mean, AJ Green has 10 target upside at 4,500. Keenan Allen, I mean, we already talked about him. He's a stone cold lock. I'm locked him into my cash lineup no matter what is 6200 so he's $2,600 cheaper and you know he has more targets than Devontae Adams he has a higher target share in his respective offense so you can get guys like that in the mid-range you know I'd consider Tyler Boyd I'd consider AJ Brown I think you can go Iuke or T Higgins uh, under 6k so I, I think that's where I'm gonna lay this week and just you know, go in on fading Adams once again this week. I agree. I mean, it's a scary fade to me, but like some of the reasons that we mentioned earlier, Minnesota coming off of a full buy of preparation, probably solely focused on trying to figure out how to stop Devonte Adams after he, you know, popped off last week, eviscerated them in their week one matchup and paying all the way up to almost 9k for a chalky wide receiver is not a good practice. In he my needs opinion. 30 plus. He needs 30 plus to absolutely burn you and you just have to think about the potential range of outcomes and and is he going to score 40 plus every single matchup and my bet would be no no I I completely agree with you and like last week I kind of capped my cash game consideration at Kenny Galladay who was 6700 I think this week I cap it around AJ Brown at Mm 6900 he's a phenomenal play to me this week um definitely in consideration for cash games averaging eight targets per game this season over his last three games averaging 23 points per game flashed elite upside with the 73 yard touchdown that put Tennessee back in the game last week I'm big on AJ Brown as a viable cash play like you said Keenan Allen Jamison Crowder if he's healthy he's been extremely consistent and then some of the value Mm -hmm. guys seems like yet another week not to question the process and just stay in the mid-range or lower for wide receiver tight end I think we both got our thoughts out during the chalk segment talking John U. Smith with Harrison Bryan and Irv Smith as viable pay downs if 
you absolutely need the salary, but we both prefer Janu for sure. And then at quarterback, Joe Burrow is the starting point. Do you feel like you need to go above or below Joe Burrow, or is he kind of like a safe mid-range guy that you're you're excited to play? Yeah, I think Joe Burrow is a solid cash game quarterback this week. If you need the salary, say you are paying up for Devontae Adams, I think Cam Newton at 5,700 is fine just due to his rushing upside. I mean, he's had multiple games with 70 plus rushing yards on the ground and multiple touchdowns but I think uh, I don't know I think Joe Burrow is a fine cash game quarterback this week you're most likely going to get the 300 yard bonus out of him you're going to get some rushing yards because he does have sneaky rushing upside and he has back-to-back games with a rushing touchdown at 6200 I don't think you can go wrong with Joe Burrow at home in a in a great matchup and probably one of the best fantasy environments uh, on this slate so Joe Burrow 6200 is probably the guy this week I do agree with that I think that Joe Burrow is you know a clear-cut standout play for cash games there is one other player though Joey a little bit cheaper if you need the no if you need shot. to save the salary no shot <laughs> a man by the name of Derek Carr who you will find at 55 hundred dollars on DraftKings going against the Cleveland team that's top 12 in fantasy points per game allowed to quarterbacks they've allowed a ton of points top five to wide receivers top 10 in points allowed to tight ends so Darren Waller could feast in this spot this game is projected above 50 points I think it's at 52 and a half as it stands right now both of these teams are in the top six implied team totals on the slate the closest highest totaled game on the slate by Vegas projections and Derek Carr has had an underrated fantasy floor this year 17 fantasy points or more in all five of his last games Derek Carr 5500 yes or no (laughs) Uh, okay, I think you can go there in cash if you need the extra six or seven hundred dollars off one of the guys above six K. But you know, with Derek Carr, you're just not going to get upside. I know he has had multiple twenty plus point games, uh, which is fine for cash. So if you want, you can go there. But I, I just never feel comfortable playing Derek Carr in, in TFS, so I won't be going there. But if you really need the money, he is viable this week. I will give you that. He is viable. Okay. Okay. Let's transition to our tournament strategy section. We'll talk leverage, stacks, and long shots. But before we get into any of these players, Joey, I just need to hear your opinion on what happened on Monday night in tournaments. This is one of the craziest stories, I think, in recent memory in DFS. A man had $1 million on the showdown slate, goes for a walk, takes his dog out, you know, comes back, refreshes the screen, goes from winning a million to winning like 3K off a stack correction on a sack, a would-be sack that became a tackle for the Bears. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, how would you react if you won a million dollars, if you finally banked the million, your life's goal, something you've been chasing on this podcast <laughs> for years now? You find out after a full 30 minutes after the game ends that you're actually only winning $3,000. What do you do? Oh, I'm ending it all. <laughs> no cap. I'm going to the Genesee River Bridge. The listeners don't know. We live in Rochester. That's kind of like the historical river bridge type joint or whatever. And I'm jumping off. Yeah. If I live, then then I'm meant to live. But I'm ending it. It's that simple. I'm gone. No more DFS dose. No more Joey carrying. <laughs> uh, I'm dead. It's that simple. That That's just absolutely tragic. And the funny thing is, is like when I read that and saw that, we had a discussion at Jared's house about 
what constitutes as a sack or not and we honestly just don't know Mm -hmm. like i thought if it that like i did have the initial thinking i think when we were talking about it was that if it is a design run for the quarterback it doesn't count as a sack and i know you guys were arguing that or whatever and i just don't know anymore It, it looked like it wasn't a design run but they called it a design run which led to it not being a sack which led to the point coming off the bears defense and he lost the millionaire maker because of that so i i just don't know i mean it's just absolutely tragic and i feel for the guy though it's one of the worst things that i've seen happen to a dfs player for sure yeah a horrific bad b i can't even imagine i would definitely be right there with you you know my dead body flailing around in the water beneath the bridge if that ever happened to me um and yeah it was interesting because we had just talked about that that uh that sack statistic the other day i think it was during the chiefs it was one, one some, some maybe the chiefs bills game in prime yeah. time that we were watching that together yeah. but the same thing happened and you were saying it wasn't a sack but it got counted as a sack it was like the same yeah. exact play but literally it actually counted in that kc game and just imagine that it just goes to show like if you read the espn story about this happening you know, some spokesperson for the people who do the stats was like, yeah, it's just, you know, sometimes the guys will get together and decide on it. So it was probably like <laughs> three dudes, three nerds sitting in a room that decided this man's <laughs> fate. I can't imagine it, man. I would be so tilted. I just can't imagine it. Worst beat that I've read about in recent memory. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just had to bring that up because what a crazy yeah, story. I mean- that's a $997,000 swing. Now, I will say $3,000 is still a good chunk of change, but a million is life-changing, and that's just terrible, honestly, just absolutely terrible. And the NFL is always inconsistent in their calls and rulings, so it doesn't surprise me one bit. Yeah, fair. I mean, I think that the solution to this is pretty easy. If the quarterback goes down is from behind the line contact, of scrimmage, from behind the, exactly, it should it's, be a sack. doesn't matter yeah. if it's a pass play or a run play. You got sacked dude slid okay it's because the defense got you you didn't throw the ball away it's a sack (laughs) that that's how i feel that would be the easiest solution but is anything ever easy in the nfl nothing's ever easy in life man true (laughs) all right tournament strategy leverage stacks long shots take it in any direction you would like to (sighs) we could talk about it real quick but i've been smashing on these long shots yeah hit on dj Moore last week scored two touchdowns Hit on DeAndre Swift the week before, scored two touchdowns. Hit on Tyler Higby in week two, scored three touchdowns. Now, I can't really remember the other guys that I picked for the long shot section, but I'm kind of on fire right now, no cap. And I think one of my favorite tournament plays this week is Hollywood Brown at 6,100 at home against a Steelers defense. Now, I don't think this game will be highly owned just due to the uh, perceived notion of both defenses being really good, but the Pittsburgh Steelers defense has been exploited by opposing wide receivers and i think hollywood brown offers elite upside and a very high ceiling at 6100 in this spot which you know it it should be it should be a good spot for him and this will be a very fun game to watch just in terms of real life but i think he could go overlooked this week at 6100 hollywood brown is my favorite tournament play this week i like that one quite a bit i think he's gonna go overlooked because of the price like you said 
My favorite stack this week, I think it'll be a relatively chalky one, but it's going to be sort of a Titans passing attack onslaught. I think that you go Tannehill to AJ Brown to potentially Jonu Smith as a trio and you find a Bengal of your choice to bring it back with, potentially one that is lower owned. Bengals rushing defense has been, you know, average and Derrick Henry could easily smash in this game. But in terms of a tournament play, while Tannehill's floor has been low, under 20 points, in half of his games, but over 26 in three of his games, including 230 spots. I think that he profiles as the exact type of GPP play you want. Be happy to go there. Bengals have given up the sixth most fantasy points per game to quarterback over the last four weeks and 12th most points to wide receiver. When you adjust for the schedule, that matchup looks even better for the Titans passing attack. So I am going to want a lot of exposure to this game. And I think that Out of the best games on the slate, this one has very little bust potential. It's going to be fast-paced with two offenses that are clicking on all levels right now. Yeah, that is definitely one of my favorite stacks. Now, I just have to ask you a question. Yeah. Jamison Crowder did not participate today. (laughs) Brashard Perryman did not participate today. Mm. So if both of those guys are out, you know who's going to be the wide receiver one in uh, New York? Denzel Mims. At 3,200. Now, are you playing Denzel Mims in tournaments this week at 3,200? Is he going to absolutely pop off on the Kansas City Chiefs? I want to hear your take on it. Of course he's going to absolutely pop off. I mean, if Crowder sits and Denzel Mims, who already had a 32% market share of his team's targets in his first NFL game, gets to be playing in a Jets game script that puts them, you know, behind the ball by almost three full touchdowns, according to Vegas. Oh my God, Denzel Mims, 3,200. You have to play him. You absolutely have to play him. Love the man, love the talent. Don't love the matchup. KC has been extremely good at stopping opposing wide receivers, but even so, I mean, I think that he could rack up 10 plus targets in this spot if Crowder's out, to be honest. If Crowder and Perryman are out, he might be a tournament lock at 3,200. Yeah, I mean, where else are you going to get that much uh, talent per price ratio? Nowhere. (laughs) Nowhere's the answer. Big point per talent guy over here. (laughs) PPT. It's a new uh, premium stat only on the (laughs) DFSDose.com. Yeah, but I just had to bring that up uh, because I saw that both of them did not participate in practice today. So I think Denzel Mims would definitely be in consideration for everything if both of those guys were to miss as a number one option on the Jets. For me, I think one of my favorite stacks that should be lower owned is a Miami stack. Okay, mm. you, you've convinced me. I've came around to it. Okay. Tua and his first game in the NFL, what could go wrong? 5,600 coming off a of bye week against the Rams. You could pair him with Devontae Parker, or Preston Williams, even Mike Gasicki, the tight end position. And I've seen some reports that Gasicki and Tua do have some chemistry and, and they're like, buddy buddy like that's his guy is yeah. Mike Gesicki Miami Dolphins stack at home against the Rams we know that the Dolphins can put up points as we saw them put up 40 plus against the Niners big Tua guy over here for me 5600 what could go wrong you could have made the case that Tua was the best quarterback in this class I mean it's hard to overlook Burrow off of the one year but I mean Tua was you know that guy I think had it not been for the injury and we already see Herbert and Burrow 
producing at elite levels in the NFL. I wouldn't be shocked to see him come out and, and smash in this spot. I like that quite a bit. And Gasicki would be my go-to stack for him as well. Yeah, so that that's definitely a large field tournament stack for sure that nobody is going to play. So I will have at least one lineup where I play Tua with two of his pass catchers and then, you know, Cooper Cup or Robert Woods on the bring back. I think that is a viable large field stack if you're, if you're playing tournaments correctly. I agree with that. One of my favorite pieces of leverage this week is confirmed NFL sideboard DK Metcalf at <laughs> uh priced up at 7500. I think he offers really strong leverage at the position over Devontae Adams who priced above him is going to be much higher owned over Tyler Lockett who a lot of people are going to be excited to play coming off of his 20 target 200 yard three touchdown massacre last week of the Arizona Cardinals. DK Metcalf busted in that game only had two receptions for what 23 yards 4.3 fantasy points had a touchdown come off the board because of penalty but when you look at this team from sort of a wider view I guess you know Mr. Unlimited has been averaging 36 and a half pass attempts per game in 2020 just over 29 fantasy points per game over his last four matchups I think that people will go to him he's going to be higher owned I think Lockett will be the higher owned pass catcher that he's paired with considering he Mm -hmm. just came off the massive game and he's priced lower than DK Metcalf. So I think that getting some exposure to Wilson to Metcalf stacks with, you know, your choice of Ayuk or George Kittle on the bring back will be a fairly unique way to get exposure to this game, especially if you think that the Seahawks go even more pass happy than they have up to this point with the loss of all of their running backs. Yeah, I definitely love that stack this week. I mean, you could never go wrong with playing Russell Wilson and his pass catchers in tournaments. It's literally been the win tournament stack like 50% of the season so far so can never go wrong with playing Seattle in tournaments I I like that a lot I know we're running kind of long here but real quick I just want to ask your opinion on how to handle the Kansas City Chiefs passing attack in tournaments this week you know they have the highest implied team total on the slate above 34 but like we've said a couple of times now they're favored by almost three touchdowns projects for the type of game where we might get a heavy dose of Clyde Edwards Hilaire maybe a little bit of Le'Veon Bell revenge game action as well. But I mean, I feel like Tyreek Hill priced below 7K in a phenomenal matchup. You can make the case for Travis Kelsey as a bounce back at low ownership. I think that they're in really good spots. It's just hard to imagine the Chiefs being in a situation where they're going to be passing the ball a lot unless they're just in complete run it up on the Jets mode. Yeah, I think that I am going to go full fade on the Chiefs in tournaments this week, which is always a tough fade, especially since they can put up 50 plus points on anybody at any given time. But with them being 19 and a half point favorites, they should easily control this game. I know I mentioned it earlier, but they have trended toward becoming a run first offense and like you mentioned this could be a revenge game for Le'Veon Bell who is only 4,600 so I like Clyde I like Le'Veon Bell in large field tournaments probably going to stay away from the pass catchers as they should easily handle this game and we saw just last week that when they have the games in hand they are going to put in their backups Chad Henney came in and actually had a rushing touchdown so play Chad Henney at 4k (laughs) no don't do that I'm just I'm just trolling but I think this is a spot where you fade the Chiefs. 
person, in my personal professional opinion. I mean, I don't think that you play Mahomes. I think it's pretty likely that he does not make it a full four quarters. I, I could see some merit to playing Tyreek Hill as a one-off. I mean, he doesn't need to be involved in the game from start to finish to have over 100 yards and a touchdown, right? I mean, he could easily yeah, do that no. off of two plays in the first half. So I, I think Tyreek Hill is interesting at his price. Haven't seen a massive slate-breaking week from him, and we know he has it in him. So I think that could happen. Last long shot that I want to mention for this segment is Henry Ruggs goes well with my Derek Carr pairing that I mentioned earlier. And I think that, you know, Ruggs, he's been coming on. He's getting more healthy after missing week three and four to injury. Uh, set a season high in snap percentage last week, 75%. Set a season high in routes run last week. And the Browns have been extremely susceptible to wide receivers. Even if you don't play Derek Carr, I think that Ruggs makes a lot of sense in lineups where you have multiple Browns as sort of a correlation play. If you've got Hunt and Higgins in there, throw in Henry Ruggs for 4,900. I think he's going to get overlooked this week and he's somebody that I think can, you know, get it done. Wouldn't play him in any sort of cash game format. I mean, three targets as well within his range, but... Like we saw a few weeks ago, three targets can be 100 yards for Ruggs. Yeah, I mean, Ruggs has a very high ceiling just due to the type of player that he is, but he's also very volatile and has Derek Carr as his quarterback, so I think it's going to be hard for him to get there on a weekly basis. But in tournaments, I, I don't mind playing a guy that can, you know, break a slate at any given moment. It's just with Derek Carr, like I mentioned, he just really has no ceiling and most likely is not going to win you a tournament, so... Fair point. Do you have anybody else in terms of tournaments that you want to mention? No, I think I think I'm good. Uh, I think we covered tournaments pretty well in this segment, so I don't have any uh, more offerings to give the listeners. Unfortunately, Jonathan Taylor. That's the last one we didn't mention him. He, he's he's a great play this week in terms of tournaments. Right, sixty six hundred. Yeah. Great matchup against the Lions coming off of a bye. Saw his you know role in the receiving game expand prior to the bye in week six. Had four targets, caught all four of them for fifty five yards. I could see a scenario where the Colts spent the bye week transitioning away from you know Jordan Wilkins and these other scrubs that have been getting work and you know mm-hmm. fully committing to Jonathan Taylor coming out of the bye. And this would be a phenomenal spot for him sub seven K to just absolutely smash the slate. Yeah, I, I love Jonathan Taylor this week uh, at sixty six hundred and in a great spot. Probably in one of the best spots on the board favorites as well on the road in detroit in the dome so i I, I definitely am going to have some interest there makes a ton of sense as a pivot off of cream hunt for three hundred dollars less joey let's close out the show with our best bets of the week we swept last week three for three what do you got for the people this week yeah so i have uh a couple bets that i want to rattle off oh throwing Uh, out more than one yeah i like it gotta go more than one this week I, I like a lot of games this week so this one might backfire since i'm betting against my favorite team but i think the bills minus three and a half i think they blow out the patriots because the patriots are terrible and just don't have the offense to keep up with anybody so give me the bills minus three and a half this week i also like the Packers minus six and a half at home against a terrible Vikings team. I just don't think the Vikings will be able to compete with the Packers and they should control this game. I'll take the touchdown with Green Bay. So Green Bay minus six and a half. And then I'll give a underdog, just straight underdog money line. If anybody can guess, uh, it's going to be the Dolphins money line. They are currently three and a half point underdogs. Nah, we don't need the three and a half. 
We're going to take the Dolphins money line uh, at plus money at home, you know, coming off a bye up against the Rams team that is on a short week. Tua's first start, he's not going to lose it. This is a franchise quarterback in Tua in the making. So give me the Dolphins to win straight up this week. Three bets. They're all going to win. Hope hope the listeners bet on them. Wow, Joey. I mean, as somebody who's consistently given one bet per week, shocking to hear, but I like most of those. I mean, I'm going to double down and take that underdog money line with the Dolphins as well. I mean, I was going to take them with the points, but I feel like I can't do that now that you threw the money line out there. I think Tua wins his (laughs) first game as well. So let me get some action on the money line for the Dolphins as well. Rams on a short week. Tua's going to smash. And then I'll throw out two more that I like as well. The first one is going to be the Detroit Lions. Going to bet on my team for one, something I rarely do. Give me the Lions plus two and a half points at home uh, as underdogs against the Colts, despite them coming off of a bye week and having a decent defense. I mean, I think Phillip Rivers is somebody that I'm comfortable betting against on the road against the team in the Lions that... You know, whether or not I believe they're super competitive, which frankly I don't, they believe they are. They just traded for Everson Griffin. There's some rumors that they're going to trade Marvin Jones away. I think they're actually in the race as a team that could add another wide receiver as well because Marvin Jones has not been getting the job done for them opposite Kenny Galladay. So, you know, give me the Lions plus two and a half at home against Phillip Rivers. And then the final one that I'm going to take a shot at is the over in Tennessee, Cincinnati. This is my favorite game of the week. It opened up at 55 and a half. It has dropped now to 53 and a half. I think the money is moving in the wrong direction. So give it to me at 53 and a half. I think that that game goes over. You heard it here first. Six winners. Well, technically five winners since uh, Ben and I are both on the same game in the Dolphins money line. So five winners for the listeners this week. Go out and bet your hard-earned capital on these i mean just drop it as a five-team parlay and and sail to the money right (laughs) i mean very negative ev but you know if you're doing it for fun screw it might as well five-teamer i like it but that's gonna be it for us on the week eight preview show thank you guys for listening do appreciate it. Like Joey said at the top of the show, you can support the podcast by subscribing on any podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. We are there creeping extremely closely to the 100 sub benchmark on YouTube. So make sure you drop a subscription there. If you haven't already, drop a comment, tweet us. We will always reply on our socials. You can follow the DFS Dose at the DFS Dose on Twitter, as well as our personal Twitters. I am at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Joey Carrion DFS. All right, guys, let's make some strong plays in week eight and sail to the money.